good. Isn't it just good to worship God? Amen. It's awesome. Aren't you glad to be saved? I'm just so glad that I'm going to heaven. Nothing's guaranteed of tomorrow. Only one thing. We're going to be with the Lord forever. It's awesome. Hey, I just want to say just a warm welcome on behalf of our family to yours. If you're a guest with us today, we are so glad that you are here. And we just sincerely really mean that. I hope that you're on the spiritual edge of your seat. Now, what I mean by that is I'm, I like interactive preaching, teaching. So if, if you feel like God is speaking to you, you can say amen. If you want to clap because God has spoken to you, you can do that. If you want to sit quietly and just take it in or take notes, I just, my encouragement to you is you do what you need to do so that you get in a more connected place with God. And we really just want to have a freedom of worship here. So, I mean, I've been to sports events with some of you and I see you high-fiving people. I see, you know, throwing beverages on one another. I've seen all that. I've been the recipient of stuff thrown at me at Dodger Stadium. So I know we can get a little rowdy. Why not get a little rowdy for God, right? So um, it's just good to follow Jesus and hope that you have a true, true encounter with him today. Um, We're in the Gospel of Luke, so if you have your iPhones or your Bible with pages, I just want to ask you to go there, Luke 10. We'll get there in just a moment. We're in a series called Learning to Follow Him, and today we're talking about learning to have compassion. If there's one thing we need more now in our world, would you agree, is compassion. Now, before we get there, which I'm real excited about this text that, that God's given me this morning, I just want to take care of a couple of things that I'm real excited about. I like to take just a couple minutes and share with you some highlights, some really cool things that are happening at MVCC because, number one, we're family, but I want you to know what God is doing. We only got two eyes and we can't see everything. First of all is happy 4th of July to the United States of America, right? Yes. The best country in the world. It was birthed out of biblical values, definitely. Even though we're broken and we strayed away, we are believing God to revive this nation, to come back to Jesus Christ. Everybody flooding back to Bible churches all over the country. Society changing, families changing, schools changing. It really can happen if we get on our knees. And I love, just want to say, I know on behalf of so many of you here, we love our nation. Thank you for the military that have kept us safe all these years. We're so grateful. So I just want to encourage you, party up on 4th of July in a godly way. Okay, in a godly way. So, Hey, I, I just on behalf of our ministry team here, right behind this building that we have the privilege of worshiping in every single Sunday, we have our children's and youth departments. We are renovating that entire area. And I just want to say, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you to your financial love and, and, and giving to God through the ministry here at MVCC. And uh, as you know, as well as I do, construction costs a lot, but we believe investing in the lives of young people is so, so important. So we've, we're shifting everything from that side of the campus in regards to children to this side of the campus because this building is newer. There's higher ceilings. There's bigger rooms for the kids. We're renovating the whole thing. It's going to be fun. Most of all, we're providing more space for more children and families, and we're providing place for children to be discipled, to learn to walk with Jesus. We want every single child to know they are valued by God. Mission Kids lives for the fact of knowing kids know that they are valued and loved by Jesus and that God has a plan for their life and walking with God is the most important thing they'll ever do. So we're planting those little seeds. I want you to get excited with me about that and that's, we're hopefully gonna be breaking, breaking ground in a couple of weeks to just make this place amazing. Oh yeah, forgot to mention, I'm sure when you drove up, you saw how crummy our parking lot looks. Did you see how bad it is? It's in transition, okay? 
So we're repaving that thing. We waited as long as we possibly could. But again, when people, when you drive up, we want it to look nice, feel nice here. And for people that you invite, when they drive up, we want our campus to look really nice and inviting and warm because it says something. If our campus looks nice, then we care about that. Most of all, we care about you being here. So it's important that we do these things. And I just want to say thank you again for your giving because it enables MVCC to be even better than we want it to be, right? Um, Hey, a couple of young people are getting baptized today from the Tomlinson family. And I just want to say a big thank you to our children's pastor, who this is her very last Sunday. I mentioned a while ago that she's uh, stepping down from her position after seven years. Just feels like there's a new chapter in her life. And so Pastor Stephanie is, is moving on to something different. She's not sure what that is, but I'm sure God will show her what that is. Um, but she's baptizing a couple of kids today right after service. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Anytime anybody ever puts their faith in Jesus, it is the best thing they can ever do. And getting baptized is awesome. There have been 31 baptisms in the last four months here at Mission Vale Christian Church, and that's by God's grace. And so every single person is important. Every single decision for Christ is important. So when they come up out of that water, I want them to see all of you. It's family. And you know, we're out there for maybe 10, 12 minutes, and it's just good to see somebody make that commitment to Christ. And so we're going to do that right after second hour. Um, If you didn't hear Pastor Scott's invitation, we want to invite all of you to do that. Also, one last thing. I asked you to pray about junior high camp last week. All those little um, 12-year-olds to, you know, 14-year-olds went for an entire week at camp. And I just want to tell you a couple of things. One is we had one student give their life to Jesus Christ for the first time. Awesome. Yay, God, right? That's awesome. Um, the entire week, which they wake up, they eat breakfast, they go to worship, then they hear teaching. They have free time, then they go to worship and more teaching. And the speaker is just phenomenal. I mean, just anointed of God, power of the Holy Spirit on those kids. Those kids learn for an entire five days. I want to encourage you, and it's so important for this younger generation to know there is truth, there are absolutes, right? They need to know that without being rude or forceful or ungodly about that. But they, they need to know the Bible is truth in a world where there's so much chaos. Well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And if you want to believe that, that's cool. That's not what God says. There's truth and absolute. So I just want you to know they were saturated into the word for the entire week. And you're, again, your financial giving and sending your kids and grandkids. I just want to camp is where they find God. And it is where they live, I believe, the starting point for they live for Jesus. Some of you have known Jesus for many, many years because you found him on a weekend or a week trip out in youth group. And Jesus, Jesus encountered you, man, and you fell in love with him and you never turned back. And so I just want to say thank you for praying. And uh, next week we got high school group going and then we got a young adults group on, on Monday nights. Things are happening. And I just want to say thank you and most of all, be a part of it. There's so many places to serve here at Missionville Christian, and we want you to be a part of what's going on. Okay, Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in 25 and 37. Going to get there in just a moment. I just, I heard something a while ago I wanted to share with you that kind of sets up where God has been leading my heart over the week of just mulling over this, reading it and rereading it and studying it. This text is so simple, yet there's so much depth in it. There was a, a, a gentleman who had a teenage boy who lived in a Midwestern town, and he just, as his son grew up into his teenage years, they'd always had a really close relationship, a walk with the Lord, the Christian family, mom and dad, one son. And so um, something happened during the teenage years, which I'm sure if you have a teenager, you'll know some of this. Just things kind of freak out. 
okay? Just we're in that stage where it's different. And so unfortunately, their relationship really became a tenuous, a lot of tension, a lot of conflict. And so um, it was bothersome so much to his dad that he asked, you know, his prayer team at the church to pray, pray about, you know, my relationship with my son. There's no really one thing, but it just, there's so much conflict and tension. We can't get on the same page together, and I'm worried about him. So it, not only was he praying about it, but he was asking the Lord. He was trying all these things, reading books, listening to podcasts, and he just, nothing was working. And it so consumed him that he couldn't get his mind, I mean, he'd go to work, he'd think about his son, he'd go, you know, on the soccer field, think about his son, and when he coached uh, football, he thought about his son, and he just couldn't get it out there. So, unfortunately, it just seemed to kind of get worse and worse and worse. He happened to be coaching with his son on a team of football, um, young people, young guys playing football, and on that team, as he was one of the coaches, he noticed that one of the guys on the team, the young boy, unfortunately lost his father a couple of years ago and he was growing up without that father figure so he decided he was going to step into that role and he invited this young man uh, with the okay of, of his mother to come and help you know homework at night and uh, just kind of befriended him kind of became a big brother the father did to this one one kid well it's kind of interesting when we focus so much on our own problems sometimes it's hard for us to see that God is working but We want him to do something different or on a timetable that's on our time. Does that make sense? Well, through helping this other kid, all of a sudden, about six months later, his son started coming around and it started to mend and heal their relationship. Sometimes when I'm focused so much on my problems, I can't see that God is orchestrating a wonderful masterpiece of of events that's going to unfold into his glory. And when I focus and help somebody on their problems, something happens to me. About 10 years ago, we um, came across uh, a problem. And the problem was that pastors of churches in our area weren't getting together. Why is it that doctors get together and they have seminars and lawyers get together and collaborate and team effort and all this stuff, but pastors for some reason, I don't know, some of us are just maybe just kind of afraid, you know, you're going to steal my people, I'm going to steal your people. So the first thing I said when we gathered some of the pastors together for prayer, I said, look guys, if some of our people want to go to your church, that's okay. If you don't want to be here, you want to be somewhere else, that's all right. So let's just get over the thing about sheep stealing. No one's going to do any sheep stealing here. We got to get together and we got to pray. So as we started to pray together as pastors, I just, one of the guys came in and they're starting a new church. This is about, again, 10 years ago. And as they were starting a new church, they were trying to get into a facility where they could gather together because they were meeting in homes and they wanted to have a central place. And when they were doing that, financially it became very difficult for them to rent a place. Well, God had been really good to us, blessing us. We had a lot of resources and things in that during, during that time in ministry. And so I remember as a uh, elder shepherd board meeting we had, we were talking about this church. I had known the pastor, his heart was there, his wife, they were trying their best, but just couldn't get over that hump to get a place. So, and God was, we had needs at our church, but we really felt like God was saying, I want you to bless that church, give them a financial gift. So some of you might've been there, but it was on a prayer night. We invited them to come pray over them, anointed them with oil, laid hands over them. And as we did that, we presented them just with a gift. We wanted them to know it was from Jesus. They didn't have to tell anybody it was from MVCC, it was from God. What I came to find out is, I will be honest with you, there was just a moment, just a moment that around that table when we decided to do that, but what about the fact that we need another youth pastor on staff or we need these other facility things or there was just a part of us that we're, we just decided we were going to trust God. God, if you said it, we'll do it and we're going to trust you. So what happened, 
10 years later, look at what God did here. I say that to say this, there is a biblical principle that when we focus on help somebody with a problem they have, God helps us with our problems. I just, it's not always a guarantee. There's just kind of a spiritual principle that happens. In fact, Proverbs says possible to lay on to our things too tightly. It is better for us to hold them loosely and compassion on people in their problem, in their situation, is a huge part of us becoming more like Jesus. Would you agree? So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is on his way from Jerusalem to a place called Jericho that we're going to see that Jesus opens up a window. You've probably heard this before. A lot of even uh, non-Christian people will know about this story called the Good Samaritan, but I just really believe God has something for us today that's maybe not so much on the surface, but a little bit deeper. You ready to go? All right, let's go into verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up, to the te- stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, well... You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Just a little bit of background here to understand where, why this is written and why Luke through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which I believe every word in the Bible is inspired by God. Why is this included here? Because number one, it's part of scripture. It is scripture, but God knew that you and I would be here this very day and he knows that our world needs compassion. The person on the sitting, sitting on the right and the left of you needs compassion. The person you live next door to, the person that you go to school with, the person that you go to work with, your family members, everybody needs compassion and love. The question is, how are we gonna get there? Well, as I mentioned, Jesus is on his way to, from Jerusalem. He's met by this scribe. A scribe is basically someone, some of your Bible versions may say an expert in the law. Some translate that as a lawyer or an attorney. We don't necessarily believe that he was actually an attorney in, in, in society, but he was an expert in the Old Testament law. So he was a student. He was a studier. He was a scholar. He understood the scripture. That's why he could rattle off the answers so quickly because he knew the text. In fact, most of us believe that he actually knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. He knew those by heart. He knew every verse in the Bible. Wow. The guy is off the charts, intelligent, student, learner. He knows the law. So the question really, the way that this is going in this conversation, it makes me question whether he was really sincere or not. But I have not had, in all the years of serving Jesus, I've not had a lot of people come and say, Pastor Mike, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to get to heaven? What, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm going to be in heaven? I've, we've had a lot of people wonder about that, but I never had anybody come up and say, hey, what do you need to do to be saved? A few people over the years, but that really doesn't happen. So I'm questioning the fact that what is his motivation for asking this question? I believe it was because he was trying to entrap Jesus. He was trying to trap him. He was trying to loophole. He was trying to make Jesus 
uh, discredit Jesus among all the religious leaders because they were really jealous of the fact that Jesus was gaining all of this attention from people that were genuinely following him and they were, le- they were leaving their religious institutions and they were finding true life. So when Jesus asked, you tell me, what does the law say? And Jesus is so awesome because he's asking a question that he already knows the answer to. So he's asking this question to reveal what's really going on inside of this man's heart. And he knew exactly what the answer was. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And then Leviticus 19, 18, he also says in the word, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus says, you're right. You got it. The problem was, did we notice? Trying to justify himself. The man is on his own track. He's got his own idea. He's got his own shift. He knows where he wants to go. And it has nothing to do with where Jesus wants to get him from. Not just the head, heart, or the head of knowing about the scripture and about the text. He wants it to penetrate down into the heart. He wants his heart to be engaged with God. It almost seems like Jesus is answering this question by saying, if you do this, then you'll inherit eternal life. I don't know if it seemed that way to you. It certainly did to me. But that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not a form and value. It's not like, well, I just do these three things and then I'll be saved. It's much deeper than that. But it almost seems like that's what Jesus is going, where he's going with this man. Maybe if I could just illustrate this way. Um, if I was to gather all of our, both of our services together, pack out this place, and then we got everybody in a seat and ask you just to scoot in a little bit closer because we're family, and I was to take a panoramic picture on my phone and then put that picture up on the screens, I have a question for every single one of you. I want you to answer honestly in your heart. Who would you look at first in that picture? You'd look for you, right? You know, right? That's just how we are. What, what shoes do my shoes look like? Is my hair straight? What am I wearing? Who am I standing next to? What do I look like? That's just human nature. The first person you look for is yourself. And that's where this man was. It's so, it's such a bummer that this man's first response couldn't have been, I can't measure up to that. I need God. I need to step into relationship with God. I need to know what the, what this really means to love my neighbor. So I confess to you, I can't do that on my own. If he just would have answered that way, it would have turned a whole different corner. But unfortunately, his heart wasn't engaged. So Jesus, the master storyteller that, storyteller that he is, he's such a, an amazing teacher. He uses windows of stories and parables so that we can understand truth. So In our teaching here, I like to use stories and situations, real life stuff, because hopefully it provides a window of, you can see through that to see the truth of God. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Jesus walks into a bar. (laughs) Jesus walked into a bar. He did. He said that he hung out with prostitutes and sinners, right? Tax collectors, throw them in there, IRS agents. He hung out with all of them. Jesus walks into this place of establishment. Okay, I'll just say it that way. And there's a, there's a smoke-filled room. There's music going on, people smoking cigarettes, some people smoking weed, some people arousing over here. The lights are kind of low, music playing, people are drinking, all kinds of stuff. And Jesus walks into the room. And the first thing he does is he, not, he does not start to point out everybody's sin. He says, I'd like to tell you a story. Everybody knew who Jesus was. They just didn't know like 
his essence of who he was really God. They were so into their own life. Jesus says, I want to gather you together. I want to tell you a story. And all of a sudden, you know, you can see over here, there's a waitress, you know, what do you want? And everybody gets real quiet. And Jesus says, you know, there was a son, there was a father who had two sons and he loved his kids and he gave them everything they could ever want. One of the sons decided before I before the father died that he would receive all of his inheritance and demanded all of his parents and he went his inheritance and he spent it all squandered it all gone he came back home didn't even feel worthy to be called a son once again and he ran as he was running the father ran to the son and embraced him and kissed him and threw this incredible party and as everybody can you imagine in the bar they're listening to jesus their eyes are open and he said that is what god is like that is what your heavenly father is like that was a window so they could see the truth of God. That's exactly what Jesus does here for not only this man who was a scribe, but for those that I believe were surrounding Jesus wanting to catch some truth. So let's read now this parable that Jesus begins to tell. So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along, And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And a temple assistant walked over and looked at him, actually looked at him, lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan, did you catch that? Came along, and when he saw the man, he felt, key verse here, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed, them the, handed the innkeeper two silver coins, which by the way, the context of that probably was two months of wages, enough to spend on his hotel, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time. Watch this. Key verse. Remember this one. I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, to the scribe, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, (laughs) well, of course, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This is what it looked like. And that man went down 3,500 feet from Jerusalem, 800 feet descending into Jericho. This road right here, you would have seen with me, almost kind of looks like that movie Maverick, planes going through there. But that was a good movie, wasn't it? So anyway, you could have seen that this caves and crevices. It was not a friendly place. People were hiding out in the dark. I mean, it was a dangerous place to walk through. That's where this man was. In fact, there was a place that they even called on that road, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Now, there are three things that I see here as I read this this story that Jesus told, this parable. One is, there was definitely entrapment. This law keeper was not interested in his soul. He was wanting to find a way to trap Jesus. Don't we see that today? And number two is there was definitely injustice. The robbers had came and robbed this guy of everything, left him for dead. 
But then we see number three, compassion in action from the heart. Let's just take an overview, a quick overview of these, these two guys. First two guys. One is a priest. Walks on the other side. Doesn't even come near him after he sees what is going on. Now, I have a little theory about this, some things that I've read. Don't know if it's true, but just my personal opinion. I think it might have been because his heart was so focused. Remember the panoramic picture? Who would we look at first? He was so fixated on himself. He was so fixated on his calling. He was so fixated even on a good thing that he was a priest for God that he had lost the very heart of who he was. He was the leader of God's people. He would have been the first one to show compassion on somebody who's hurting. In the law, it actually says that if in Leviticus, a priest was to touch a dead body, if he was dead, if he was to touch him, he would lose for seven days the privilege going into the temple. They say there was over 10,000 priests during that day. Only a certain number of them would be able to be chosen to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. The Holy of Holies was the place where God resided with the Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you will. That was the Ark of the Covenant. It was this statement. It was a visual. It was an actual place where God's presence resided in that room. Nobody could just go in that room. It was a veil that was 12 inches thick. Only the high priest could go in. So if he touched the body, if he thought to himself, if I touch this guy, if I roll him over to see if he's okay, if I do something for him and he's dead, I will lose the opportunity for the status to go into the Holy of Holies. You with me? He was so consumed with himself. And the more that I think about this and the more that I dig down into this text, how much am I like that? Even I can call myself a Christian. I can call myself a follower of Jesus. But if it inconveniences my schedule, my goals, my hopes, my aspirations, I'm out. Right? What we need is humility. Remember what Jesus has done for me. How can I say no to somebody that's hurting, genuine hurting when I have the opportunity and resources to help? So he passed on by. Saddest part in this section is that he just passed on by the other side. Then, of course, we have the Levite. The Levite's job, his calling, was to take care of the priest. His calling was to set up the temple, whatever the priest needed from the people that were giving. They made sure that the temple was right. It was accessible to those that could go in from the outer court to the inner court. Only certain Jews were allowed to go in. And there was just a lot of work, a lot of background stuff that happened. That was the sole purpose of the Levite, was to make sure the temple was good for worship. And I think maybe because he saw this man and he knew the priest was ahead of him, maybe he thought, maybe he thought, well, if the priest passed by and he didn't touch him because he's still here, I'm not going to do it. Again, he was not letting his, the key of this is he did not let his heart engage. Well, see, I don't think with my heart. I'm not a heartfelt person. I don't feel. I'm just head. I'm just logical. That's how God wired me. That is not an excuse to let our heart engage with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that prompts us, does something to us. I heard a statistic that said most people come to church when they come to church. Even if they come once a year, they want to feel God. There's information. Yes, we need truth, but they want to have a real life experience with God. And most people won't come to a church. Actually, church attendance is on the decline in America. So that means we just give up and have our little holy huddle. And well, if you can get to heaven, you can get there. We've got to go meet people where they're hurting. That's the calling of a Christian. 
Now, I, I, thank, God, I thank God that you're all here. I tell you, and and I, I don't say that because I'm a pastor. If I wasn't a pastor and I was teaching tennis or I was in the business world or doing something else, that's my calling that God gave me. I still need to come to worship. I got to be here every week or I got to be online. I got to connect. Number one, because God commanded me, do not forsake the gathering together. Those are in the habit of doing. So don't skip church just like, well, we're going to go to the beach. We got Disneyland today. Those things will always be there. Jesus is asking us to worship it. So I got to connect with my creator. Second is, I need you. I need some of you to come alongside and say, hey, how you doing? Can I pray for you? Man, it's just good to be a part of the same family. I leave this place every Sunday, man. I'm on the mountaintop every time I leave this place. Can't say that I'm always that way when I walk in, but when I leave, I'm on the mountaintop, right? God knew that. We needed one another. The system of religion was squelching that. And we see a firsthand visual of why that was happening. It was one stinking reason. It was because of pride. I hate pride. I, 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 can't, I, I hate it with a passion. I, I hate the fact when I see churches fall or split or become inactive or just have their own little holy huddles because it's all about pride. It's all about me on the screen. It's all about what I want. If I'm inconvenienced, I'm not doing it. And God can't work in that. God wants to explode out of your life and all he's looking for is someone to say, yes, God, here I am, which is where we find number three, a Samaritan, a Samaritan. That doesn't mean anything for us today, but if we live back in the day, that's a trigger. If we hear Samaritan, we think, oh yeah, in 722 BC, I remember the stories my grandparents told me. In 722, the Assyrians attacked. They took thousands of Jews out of their homeland and they kind of intermixed them. And not only did they intermix them and they started families with Gentiles and Jews, at that particular context, God didn't want that. It was only because they were starting to worship false gods. These Jewish people that knew the one true God are now taken captive by the Assyrians and they drugged them to their homeland. And now because the Assyrians are worshiping all these little G gods, which by the way, those little G gods, they're just false gods. They're not real. And what I found about false gods is they're false. They don't last. Everything I try to follow in the world, everything I set up beyond Jesus Christ, which before I knew him, I was doing all that stuff. It doesn't work. We weren't created to, to worship little G gods. We were created to, to, to worship the one true God. Amen. This Samaritan was hated by Jewish people. And Jewish people hated Samaritans for that reason. Oh, that's those kind. Now I want you to be really honest. I'm going to turn my back so you can be completely honest. I'm not going to look at your faces. You ready? You ready? Who's the person you dislike the most right now? Don't look at your husband or wife. Don't. (laughs) Who's the person you, should we dare even say, the person I hate right now? Nobody knows, but I know. I know because they're right here. The person you dislike the most. You ready for this? That's as much as you can love Jesus. Ooh. Wish I didn't come to church today. Isn't that that what Jesus is teaching us? How long am I going to deceive myself into holding a grudge against somebody who hated me, who wanted to get me fired as a pastor and split this church? How long am I going to hold on to that grudge? How long are you going to dislike that person? How long are you going to allow your life to be so affected that you react every time you hear their name? Mike, Mike. 
Because that's as much as you can love me. You can say you love me all you want. But I know. And God never stops loving us. And he will not stop working. And he will not stop prodding us and pushing us and loving us to that place of humility. But how long am I going to resist? You want to go one step further? You ready? Not really? Okay, I won't go there. Okay, I'm, I'm, no. What about your ex? What about your neighbor backs into your trash cans and dumps all the trash on your front lawn and now you got to pick it up and he knew what he did. She knew what she did and she didn't even take the time to pick up the trash and they wipe their nose with snot and it gets all over your yard and they just cuss and they have parties and beer bottles all over the place and why do we have to live in a place like this? I can't stand them. Or what about the family member that comes and destroys the entire family outing because they came with the wrong kind of spirit and they came with the intention of pulling you and your sister apart from one another or your brother or some family member and they knew what they were doing and they tried to cause havoc in the family. Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to love them? I'm supposed to show compassion on them? Wrong question. Who's my neighbor? He knew what he was asking. He wasn't sincere. He didn't want truth. Here's the fact of the matter. The two men were religious. Religion can't save you. Can't. It's impossible. You can do everything you possibly can. You can try and be as good as you can. You can light candles. You can go to a priest. You can go to a confessional. You can do whatever you do in the Protestant church. You can go to church as much as I can. Get baptized 10 times. I got 10 certificates. It can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And faith in Jesus. What I'm reminded about in this is the goodness of God. And that I don't deserve anything that God gives me. Because I know me. Now the fact of the matter is, I was, I was, as I was studying this and rereading it and reading it and digging down deep, I thought to myself, there's got to be more than just, just tell the people to go be compassionate. It's, it's more than that. You with me? We all know we're supposed to be more compassionate. I don't need a pastor to tell me you really need to be a better Christian. I know that because I know me and I know that sin separates me from God. So I knew where I was. I knew who I was before I met Jesus. Fact of the matter is I'm a sinner. I know we're not supposed to say that word, but that's the truth. Truth is we sin. And the truth is sometimes we like that sin. We may not partake completely in it the way we used to, but we like to smell it. We like to be around it. We like because it gives us a quick rush. And sometimes I don't get that quick rush from Jesus. You with me? Can we just leave now? You just ask you, some of you had to just get out of me, get out of here. We had our, our junior hires left for camp last week. We got the big yellow bus, taking all the kids on the bus. There's 24 junior hires and six leaders. And so Pastor Zach, who's our, our, our youth uh, pastor here, he had all these tables set up, registration music going on, junior hires prying them off the walls. You know, they're just, I love that age group. They're just so full of energy. We'll follow Jesus. We love you. They're still your friend, you know, that age. High scores are like, yeah, prove it to me. No, no offense, but that's just kind of, you know, how the, the, the different demographics are. So these junior high kids are all swirling around. They're peeling them off Velcro and everything. And they're getting ready to leave on the bus. And Pastor Zach had brought like, I don't know, four or five boxes of donuts. There are like 36 of them. 
And I did the, I'm, I'm like, I walk past and I smell them. I'm like, I love the smell of donuts. But these kids aren't eating these donuts. What are you guys all vegan, healthy? What are you doing? Nobody's eating. The parents aren't even. So there's like a dozen, at least two dozen donuts left there. So when they left, they were all sitting there. So I took the box of them and I brought them over to the kitchen area thinking, well, someone else will want them. Well, as I sat them down, the more I smelled them, and I've just vowed, you know, I just want to get more healthy, so I don't eat that stuff anymore. But can I just tell you, I cheated. I took one of the sprinkled ones that had pink, and I, but I ate the top of it. I just ate the top. I didn't eat the whole thing. So I put the rest of them in the refrigerator because I thought somebody else will want them from our staff. So I'll just leave them here and won't tell anybody. So I put them in the refrigerator. The next day I came... I opened the box up and I smelled them. I'm like, all oh, these, if somebody could come up with like a car spray that smells like donuts, I'd, I'd be all over that. I just love the smell of it. So I thought, you know what? No one's going to eat the rest of these donuts. I, I, I eat the top of one more. And I took the boxes of them. I put them in the backseat of my car in the heat. For two days, I left them in the backseat of my car because I wanted to smell the donuts every time I got in my car. It smells good. Now that stupid analogy, that little window of pictures, I think what we do with sin. We like the smell. We like to be around it. Although I don't want to totally engage in it because it'll disrupt me. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm drawn into it. You with me? That will always be there. That will always be a temptation. When you get saved, all the temptation doesn't go away. Paul, the the great apostle Paul, man, who was a spiritual battleship for God, he still struggled with sin. He still struggled with temptation. That's why he writes in Galatians, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then he says this, they were always in conflict with each other. You will always live in conflict. Sorry to break the bad news to you, but there's always gonna be a conflict of some type of temptation in your life. The dangerous part is thinking, oh no, I'm above that. Oh no, I don't struggle with that. Oh no, I don't have problems with that. What must I do to be saved? To justify myself. Do you hear it? He wasn't humble. It wasn't the heart engagement. When I engage my heart with what I know to scripture to be true, then I'm able to say, God, I know who I am. I'm a stinking rotten sinner. I know, God, that I can get swept up into something that I have no business being in. It could wreck my whole spiritual life. But Jesus, please help me. I know I desperately need you. Hanging at the end of the rope to the knot that Jesus is on to say, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my only hope. You're my only hope. That's the best place to be. Not, oh, I don't know that rope. I don't need that rope. I'm doing fine. Do you you hear? Religion is, I don't need it. Jesus says, you need me. The point of this text, yes, we know what we're supposed to do. But the deeper meaning of it, I was that guy laying half dead. Because of sin, I was dead. I was dead in my sins, right, sister? We know. I was a dead man walking. I didn't realize till after I got saved on a Wednesday night, I didn't realize that I was on my way to hell. There is a real place called hell. There is a place called heaven in Matthew chapter 25, but Jesus never wanted anyone to go there. That's why Jesus came to rescue us. I was on the roadside just like all of you. We were on the roadside with different stuff. We all got addiction to some type of sin. And here's Jesus who comes by. He stops. Jesus stops off his donkey. He rode into Jerusalem on, remember? Took his robes off, his royal robes, and he bandaged us. Took the wine, the antiseptic, 
the anointing oil signifying I'm going to send my Holy Spirit in you. You are going to be so different. You are going to be so alive. I'm going to make your life so much different. You'll never want to look back. Even when you want to look back, you won't go back because I will so change your life. And the best part about it is I'm creating this wonderful place called heaven. No more Satan, no more temptation, no more sin, no more taxes, no more mortgage payments, nothing. You're just going to get to enjoy me forever. But you have to surrender to me. You will never be able to be good enough to get there. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. God is good. Romans 1 says only God is good. There is no one good but God. How many times have I read this and I've heard stories? The whole non-Christian world knows this. The Good Sam Club. You got an RV. There's Good Samaritans. Everybody will stop for each other if you have an RV. Everybody knows the story. It's not just going and having compassion. It's the one who is compassion came and saved me. And now this is where the guy missed it. We're, we're almost done with this. He missed it because he didn't understand that because God is standing in front of you. He loves you right where you're at and all your stinking religion. If you just surrendered your life, he'll put compassion there and you'll see everybody as your neighbor. Compassion is not, well, I have to do this. Did you hear? This? He felt compassion. Here's my little theory on this and then I'll get out of your way. The more that we engage ourselves with God and his word, and I know what to do, sometimes it takes a while for my heart to engage. Sometimes it takes a moment for my heart to engage with what I know is right. It doesn't reclude me from, it doesn't excuse me from not doing what is right, even though my heart might not be engaged in the moment. We're all wired differently. Some have a little bit more feeling and compassion. Some people are more cerebral and logical. It doesn't excuse anybody from saying, well, my heart just doesn't need to get engaged. Wrong. When your heart is engaged with someone, God is meeting you at the intersection of your moment with compassion and God can heal somebody. He can change somebody. Think about this. One invitation to a service like this and you love them, you cared for them, they trust you. They may come in and say, yeah, we need a little religion today. Our family's not going so well. We need God. And, and they don't know the whole aspect of it, but they know they need something and they come into this place and find the gospel. They find Jesus because you were compassionate and you invited it's the most amazing thing that you can ever do. And here's to end all this. We know we're going to miss the mark. So I don't want anyone leaving here feeling guilty because guilt only comes from the devil. Guilt does not lead to hope. It always leads to despair. Anytime Jesus convicts me, anytime Jesus through the Holy Spirit convicts my heart, there's always hope. So I don't, I don't want anyone leaving here thinking, well, I just, I, I can't measure up. I've tried so many times to be compassionate. I don't even know what to do, so I'm just going to give up. Don't do that. Or I've missed so many opportunities, God can't forgive me. Don't do that. I'll illustrate this way, and then I'll be done. I, I, I got a text from one of our guys in the church that says, my mom is dying. It's Saddleback Hospital. I don't know how long she has. She's in ICU. She might make it out of ICU. Could you go and pray for my mom? She needs to know the Lord. I said, absolutely. So I went down to Saddleback Hospital. I'm waiting in Saddleback Hospital if you've ever been there, but now they got all these rules. You got to wear a mask. You got to show your card. You got to wait through, you know, fingerprints. You got to give your blood, everything, just to get into the hospital. And so I'm waiting in line, and there's about six of us, and the lady that's in front of me, I could tell that she had chemo treatments. I just, you know, I could just, just tell by her physical what she was 
looked like that she was undergoing treatment. And so she gets up to where the security, it's just the security guard there. He's just trying to do his job. And she just unleashes on this guy. She starts cussing at him. She brings out this piece of paper and says, I, I, all I wanted was a lunch waiting here so that my next chemo treatment, I have something to eat. And she's just cussing at him. She's going after him. And I can't believe you would do this. And I'm watching all this and I'm like, my heart is breaking for this woman. And this is what she says. I'm, and she points to her, I'm dying and you won't give me what I need. So I, I, I got, I, I, in my natural mind, I'm thinking, I got to get up to this floor because I want to pray with her. I'll, I'm sure she's going to be here. The lady that's got the problem, I'll come back. And I just want to talk to her and just ask, what can I do to help you? So I go up because I don't want to miss the opportunity to pray with this person who might be able to step into eternity before she leaves earth. So I go up there and we pray with her and we come down and the lady was gone. She was gone. And I don't know if that feeling you've ever had where you just felt like you knew you were supposed to do something. God was asking you. He wasn't, there's no, there's no legalism here. There's not like, you better do this. You just felt led to do something. And the opportunity passed. Like, oh, God, where is she? I didn't see her anywhere. Missed opportunity. The next day, I'm passing by Saddleback Hospital to pick up a case of tennis balls, which is really important on my day off. <laughs> at the tennis store over on El Toro. So as I'm driving past, I see a sign that somebody put up that said, need a kidney, uh, blood type O, with a phone number. And I drove past it. I thought, here's what I thought. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I thought, well, I'm not, blo- I'm not blood zero or O type. Somebody, somebody will do that. And I kept driving. And you know, God is so good. He just prompted me Stop the car, pull over into the bike lane, and I reversed all the way back to see the sign again. I took the number down, and I just called the number. I said, would you please, I saw your sign, would you please just tell me your story? I am not doing this because I'm a pastor. We all can do this. Here's what I, she told me her story. She needs a kidney transplant. She's been waiting 10 years. She lost feeling in her left arm. She can't even move her left arm because so much dialysis. And she's just, I could tell she's desperate. She wants to live. She's married. She's 53 years old. I said, would you let me pray for you? I said, I'm just going to tell our church. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I just believe God can work in so many different ways that someone might know somebody that knows somebody. Or there might be somebody who say, you know what? I'll donate my kidney. So I just said, can we just pray for you? She says, please, would you, would you please do that? So any. The point of all this is that I believe God can work when we step out of our comfort zone, even if it's inconvenienced, God can do anything. I'm not type O. My first reaction is, well, I went home and asked my wife, I said, what happens when you have just one kidney? She goes, well, if you're healthy, it's fine. You just live on one kidney, but you have to be the right blood type. So I'm just, I'm just putting that out there in the spirit. I'm putting that out there. God if you could find someone that could help this woman, because the greater need as I was talking to her, I could tell, I don't know for sure, I don't think she knows God. I don't think she has a relationship with God. But I said, I would love for you to come to our church. We'd love to pray for you and just walk with you through this. I can't guarantee anything, but walk with you through this. The greater need is her soul. That was the, the problem with the guy. It was his soul. It wasn't all the religious stuff. Where are you? Where am I? Are we really willing to do what Jesus told us to do, not because we have to, but because we love him, because he first loved us. One is this, if we love perfectly, we'd be perfect. But since we can't, we need a savior. That's the reason for the good Samaritan. I know I need God. It isn't about doing more. 
Don't, don't, please don't go out here and I gotta do more, I gotta be more compassionate. It's about knowing I need a savior first. The second is this, loving your neighbor means doing what is in the best interest of another person, even if you don't like them. Remember this one? The person I, because we're in church, I don't want to be nasty. The person I dislike the most. Oh, go ahead and just say it, Pastor Mike. The person I hate. Don't, Mike, don't deceive yourself. Even if you don't like them. Remember, the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. And the last one is this. I think this is the most important one. If you get this one, it's just for free, but this is the best one. Be the person who shows compassion and mercy. It's not religion. It's not have to. It just comes from here because God has so moved and touched you with compassion. You can't help but show compassion on someone. God, we love you, and your word is so simple. Just go and do likewise. Jesus, thank you. As painful as it is to walk through why that scribe just couldn't engage his heart Thank you that it was there so we don't fall into that same trap. I pray for our church. I pray for our family here, God, at NBCC. You make us, by your Holy Spirit power, make us to look more like you, God. Help us to be wholly available, Lord. And God, we know and believe you're gonna do great things. We trust you, God, for not only for what you've done, but what you want to do and are going to do, God. I just wanna say thank you, Jesus, for that little reminder that I'll be back at the end to pay. That Jesus, you promised us you'd be back to catch, to get our soul, to get us, God, to be with you forever. We just love you today, God. And yeah, we just, we just give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, this time in our service, just the last few moments, is a time for you to really connect with God just personally. And Jesus gave the wine and the bread to his disciples. He said, look, guys, I'm going to leave, but I want you to remember me. I'm coming back, but until that time, I want you to remember me. So this, is, this communion time is just for you, just to remember how good he is. It's also to remember, God, I am in such need of you. If there's anyone here today that just feel like, man, I am so far away from God, I want to come back. Right after the service, we'll be right here for a few moments to help anyone that just needs to give their life to Jesus right now. But for those who do know, just think about Jesus' compassion on the adulterous woman, on the man who had a boy that was racked with a demon and didn't know where else to go, to the masses of people that were hungry, stayed there all day to listen to the words from you, Jesus, and yet you had compassion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.